Transferring wealth successfully starts with asking yourself questions that will give your family a better life now and for generations to come. In this podcast, financial professionals John and Michael from Copper Beach Financial Group guide you through eye-opening questions to help you discover the truth about your wealth. Now, on to the show. Hello and welcome to The Truth About Wealth with John and Michael Paris of Copper Beach Financial Group. Today, it's a part two. We have brought back Paul Dietrich as a special guest, and Paul is the CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Fairfax Global Markets, LLC. Fairfax currently manages investments for private investors, retirement funds, and private institutions throughout the United States. He is an international corporate attorney and was formerly associated with two Washington, D.C. law firms, Squire Sanders and Dempsey, which is now Squire Patton Boggs, and Jones Day. As an attorney, he has been an advisor on privatization and economic development issues to the World Bank, as well as several governments in Asia, Eastern Europe, and the former Soviet Union, and was a fantastic guest on the last podcast. If you have not heard that, you're missing out. Go back and listen to it. So many amazing things that he spoke about, and these gentlemen just hashed out and talked, and I learned a ton. And speaking of learning a ton, let's welcome the gentleman to the show. Hello, guys. How are you? Hey, Eric. How are you doing today? Good. I'm excited. I mean, Paul's back. What else can we hope for, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's... It went so well the first time we f- thought we'd have round two. Yeah, absolutely. With Paul's permission, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, well, again, thank you, Paul, for for your time. I know it's valuable, so we do appreciate you taking the time to educate us and and our listeners. Um, I, I thought when we were talking about sort of what we would we discuss part two when we ended part one, we were starting to get into a little bit of uh, particularly sort of the U.S. and China. Uh, trade negotiations, and I, and I, I I personally find that a really fascinating topic, and your insight was much appreciated. But I, I kind of wanted to continue, uh, maybe delving into that a little bit more, along with maybe some of the other trade agreements that, uh, that that the United States has been involved in, and how that would maybe affect the economy going forward. So, as as the way I look at the the particularly the China trade agreement or the negotiations, it. it it's amazing to me that we sort of have these two powerhouse countries that are almost diametrically opposed to one another in terms of of sort of how they govern, uh, what their value system is, and to sort of watch this play out to me is really fascinating. And I was wondering if you had any insight on how that's really affecting the negotiations. I imagine it makes things more challenging, correct? Well, it does. You know, it. I think it helps. I've I've been following trade uh, again for 20 years, and I know uh, a lot of the people who are on the current uh, negotiating teams who negotiated the new NAFTA accord, and they're actually, you know, going back and forth every day with the Chinese and negotiating uh, these agreements. So I'm I'm pretty familiar. I've actually even read through some drafts uh, of the agreement that they thought was going to be the final Chinese-U.S. Uh, agreement, and then the Chinese backed off of key enforcement uh, mechanisms. But, you know, after World War II, <coughs> excuse me, after World War II, uh, we pretty much produced everything in America, we consumed everything in America, 
and we exported, but we didn't import a great deal. I mean, when we were all kids, you know, we all thought stuff from China and Japan were like really cheap, you know, novelty toys and things like that. Uh, now that's all changed. And for a long time, a lot of the agreements that were put together after World War II, they favored the other countries and they didn't favor the United States. And so they they were sort of protectionist uh, of industries that the Europeans were trying to put together, the Japanese were trying to build up in their own countries. And, you know, now we're changed. Uh, these countries, uh, Germany, uh, Japan, they're, they're as wealthy as we are. And why should they be allowed to, you know, have unfair trading practices? And so we've talked about this. President Obama talked about it, President Clinton, everybody talks about it. But for all the flaws that President uh, Trump has, you know, he's actually taken this on as a major cause and someone had to do it. We've had, we're now finishing up a, a trade negotiation treaty with Japanese, which is going to allow us to sell things that we've never been able to sell in Japan, which is mainly rice and, and you know, our agricultural products. That's been the major thing that they've kept out. And so we're almost finished with that agreement. We have a lot of issues with the Europeans, and uh, the two main issues are automobiles and and food. Uh, the the Europeans keep out most American food, and they they do it in order to protect their own farmers and keep prices really high. People pay so much more for food in Europe than we do here in the United States. And what they do is they not only uh, protect these areas, uh, but also they pass regulations like they forbid GMO, uh, geneti genetically modified uh, uh, grains and things from being shipped to there. And so these are the these are the types of things for those those trade agreements. Uh, President Obama he put together the uh, Pacific trade agreement, and I know President Trump doesn't like it. It was basically a pretty good agreement, and I wish uh, he would go back in. It would have certainly helped us with uh, China to have all the countries in the Pacific, all the countries in Asia, except for China. They weren't in it. Uh, we would have been in a much stronger position, I believe, uh, had we kept that trade agreement. But then point. when you, yeah, when you get back and you look at the main you know, we've passed the new NAFTA, although it hasn't hasn't been approved by Congress yet because the Democrats and the labor unions are opposing it. But it's a far better it's a far better agreement than for the labor unions and for American manufacturers and American workers than the old NAFTA. And I really don't understand um, why they're not passing it because it's the best they're going to get. And uh, but the the big one is the U.S. China trade, and there are some winners and losers, you know. But we we should know. And but the 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 key thing is is that the Chinese have been stealing our technology 
uh, for years. They have, and I mean, they've been legally stealing it. You know, when we right. when we apply for a patent in the United States, it's kind of a process, uh, and and all the trade secrets aren't put into the patent papers. In China. Uh, when they basically say, well, Americans, if you want to make this here, you have to apply for a Chinese patent or someone will steal it. But uh, they make you put in, you know, the source code, uh, all of your algorithms, uh, and then they just hand it over to a state-owned company that's going to compete. Uh, and then now they have all your technology. And they've been doing this for years, this forced transfer of technology. And let's face it, this is the crown jewels uh, of American American ingenuity. 20 years ago, tech made up about 4 or 5% of the U.S. economy. It's now over 22%. It is the crown jewels of the, of the U.S. economy. We just can't keep uh, doing all the work and expense of, uh, of, of thinking all this stuff up and then letting them steal it. And well, what the well, Chinese— I mean, it, yeah. Interrupt you. Why do why would we ever agree to that initially? I don't want to get into the into the battlefront here, but because they have one point six billion people. So it's all about it's all about money and moving business overseas. It basically well, it's moving it over, but they want to sell. You know, we only have three hundred twenty million people in the U.S. They want to sell this these same products over there, and in order to do it, in most cases, you have to manufacture over there, and it makes sense in many cases to manufacture because it's cheaper, but uh, you're giving up all your proprietary technology, and it's... And jobs. Yeah, and jobs, well, certainly jobs here in the United States, but uh, it, it really is a problem. And what the Chinese don't understand is that this is really good for them in the long run. They are They are no longer... Uh, the kind of cheap producers that they were 20, 30 years ago, they're developing their own technology now. I mean, Huawei and and some of the big companies, I mean, they've, they've stolen our technology to big become big companies, but they're filing their own international patents, and I don't think they want people stealing that. Uh, what we're doing is they, they still think of themselves as a third world country, and they're really not anymore. And now they have to act like people who are first world countries, and we don't we don't steal this stuff. And you know they're not Cambodia, so we've got to change all this. And I think President Trump, in the end, and I think probably sometime closer to the election next year. All the issues, the other issues from Huawei, agriculture, everything else, he'll probably compromise on all of that stuff so long as China agrees to the enforcement mechanisms that they have in this new agreement. Bob Lighthizer, who's our chief negotiator, he's been doing this since the Reagan administration. He knows every single way that they cheat on everything. Oh. and. And we're no longer going to do that anymore. One of the things in the past uh, is we would file complaints with the World Trade Organization about Chinese stealing our technology or the forced transfer. In the World Trade Organization courts or arbitration, we would win. And then 10 years later, nothing had changed. I mean, it's a toothless organization. So in this trade agreement, they have kind of immediate arbitration. And if the Chinese in this immediate third-party arbitration are determined to have 
done something breaching the agreement, we can immediately put tariffs on them, uh, which is, you know, they don't want. And we want them to change their laws so they can be sued in international courts. And they that's the part that they backed out of some months ago. So th- this is the problem that we have. Now, the problem President Trump is having is that every time he raises the tariffs, say, by 10 percent, the Chinese just devalue their currency by 10 percent. And it was funny, a few weeks ago, uh, when Trump raised tariffs even more, uh, the Chinese just lowered their currency and the stock market went down. And I said, this is nuts because this was great for Americans, what the Chinese did. You know, uh, everyone was saying on television that tariffs were a tax on the American people because the Americans were paying for the, the tariffs, not the Chinese. And it's true. Tariffs are a tax on the American people, and uh, except that when the Chinese lowered their currency by 10 percent, it offset uh, that tax, and it was like a gift to the American people. You know, right now, China exports $560 billion a year in goods to the United States, and those cost whatever they cost. Well, once they lowered uh, their currency by 10%, it was like it was like a $56 billion gift to the American consumers because right before Christmas, they're not going to have to pay anything extra when they shop at Walmart. And so I couldn't understand why the stock market was going down. And if you remember, Apple went down really, you know, I think 8% that day. It was some crazy number. And I thought, this is nuts. Apple's going to pay 10% less for all of the goods it's making over there. It's iPhones. And people were thinking they were going to have to raise their prices by 10% on a $1,000 phone. That's $100. No, they're, you know, now they're getting it cheaper and they don't have to raise that money, even if there is a tariff on it. Uh, and the Chinese could do this. You've got to remember even if Trump went up to 25 or 30 percent on tariffs, they could easily uh, lower their currency by 30 percent. And, you know, that would be like 150 billion dollars. But this is a country that has 3.2 trillion dollars in reserves. You know, what do they care about 150 billion? Billion dollars. Well, Paul, so, isn't that Trump, another Trump's issue when you start problem. talking? About, when you start talking about the de- the devaluing of the currency, is that a? I mean, isn't that sort of a workaround to uh, not not be not not be affected by the tariffs? Or because I know that's another issue that's. It, that's it is. On. It is a workaround. Basically, the Trumps trying to you know jam this trade agreement down their throats because he wants it before the elections. And the Chinese are saying, you know, we don't care. We can thwart you every, you know, everything you do, we can thwart you. And it's not going to it's not going to be any pain to the American consumers uh, just by devaluing our currency. Mm-hmm. And, you know, la- the Trump administration basically declared them a currency manipulator, which is sort of a joke. Yeah. 
because all that means is is that we have to notify the International Monetary Fund uh, that we believe they're manipulating their currency, and then their talks started, and then if a year later the International Monetary Fund says that they're a currency manipulator, then they're labeled as such, and all that means is is that China cannot get OPEC funds, uh, you know, from the United American government agencies for development projects, which they don't get anyway, uh, or nor can they they get U.S. government procurement contracts, which they don't get anyway. So I mean, it's it's just a, it's kind of a symbolic gesture, but China would have a. The definition, according to our laws, is that they have to manipulate uh, to 2% of GDP of their of the last 12 months. Well, China's nowhere near 2%. So, it, unfortunately, on this thing, Trump's going to lose. The IMF is not going to declare them a, a currency manipulator. But they could continue to do this for a very long time, and it wouldn't hurt them. And that's where we get into the winners and and losers, and that's kind of what I wanted to talk about, is that the winners in this this trade battle right now is the U.S. consumers. They're actually only, only about $250 billion of the $560 billion in trade uh, has been affected by tariffs so far. Now, Trump's you know, threatened to put on higher tariffs, but by them lowering their currency, it's actually made a 300 billion of uh, goods imported to the United States cheaper. And so the U.S. consumer has really been a major beneficiary. Chinese manufacturers have, have been a, a beneficiary of this because they haven't had to lay off anyone. Um, Apple is going to be a major beneficiary to this. Uh, there are some unclear winners and losers, and the the Chinese government, a uh, weaker currency can make Chinese goods cheaper to sell abroad, but it also harms uh, American manufactured export goods right. because it costs more. Uh, U.S. chip makers who sell a lot of chips to Chinese uh, firms, it, it's the you know Huawei. Every all of their Lenovo, all of their products use American chips, and they will be more expensive. But since their overall goods are going to be cheaper, I think it's probably a wash. The, the people who are the losers in what's going on now with uh, both the U.S. and and China playing chicken with each other uh, on these tariffs is U.S. farmers. There's no question they have been hurt. Uh, two years ago, we had we were selling 19 or 20 billion dollars in farm goods to China. That went down to 9.1 billion in last year, and it's going to be way down this year. And so, U.S. farmers are really getting hurt and that's that's a problem. The other people being hurt by this is Germany and Europe. The, the cheaper currency makes it even harder for European manufacturers, especially Germany's export-oriented economy to compete and and to sell 
things, uh, especially to the Chinese. Uh, and then there are some Chinese companies, some of the largest companies have borrowed money in U.S. dollars to, you know, in the international markets. Uh, and so they're going to have to pay back in dollars, dollars what yeah. they make in their own currency. And, and so, right. and it could also encourage wealthy Chinese families to take their money out of, out of China. So, you know, there are winners and losers. The biggest winner is the U.S. consumer in all this because they haven't technically been hurt at all. Uh, no matter what you hear on CNBC or MSNBC or CNN, um, you know, if you look at the consumer price index, it just hasn't moved because of all these tariffs. Hey, Paul, get back to the farmers for a second. I know that uh, President Trump and, and his administration is subsidizing the farmers with some of the benefit of the tariffs. Uh, what does that really mean? I, I think a lot of people get confused on, on, are they getting money? Are they getting some kind of other support? What does that really mean to these farmers that are getting subsidized? They are getting money, but it hasn't really off. And, and a lot of it's going to the big, the big farmers, not the smaller farmers. And if you look at the price of... Uh, Corn and wheat and soybeans. Uh, there's some argument that over the last year or two, it may have hurt the overall farm economy by six hundred billion dollars. I mean, I've seen figures like that. I'm not sure where those came from because, like, you know, as I said, we were exporting 19 billion uh, to China in 2017. It'll be $9.1 billion last year, and it's going to be a lot less this year. But it's really depressed farm products and and the prices that people get everywhere. So yeah. a benefit politically, President Trump, to get this, this, this trade war kind of under the sheets a little bit because it's going to affect them with these votes yeah. in the Midwest. I mean, would you agree that— that he's maybe pushing to get it sooner than later, or because you mentioned like close yeah. to the election, it'll happen. I mean, is there a political decision here he's trying to make? That was a question I had: is does does that put him and and the United States at a disadvantage because of that political pressure he has next year to get something done? We uh, the the good thing about American agriculture is that it's so big, it's so efficient. I mean, you know, we have like a half percent of our population not only feeds the entire United States, but most of the rest of the world. And although China can get uh, a lot of these things in the short term from Brazil and from other countries, but those countries are far less efficient. And I believe that once we get a trade bill through, you know, it will. It might take a little while, but China will still come back to the United States for pork. Uh, you know, all the grains and everything else, and beef that they they were importing before, simply because we're the lowest cost producer and the highest quality uh, producers. So I think it's important that Trump get this trade bill through, but. He, if he 
if he does what everyone else does, and, and President Bush did this with the World Trade Organization, the, the Chinese did the same thing. They negotiated an agreement, and then right before they were ready to sign it, they backed off of all the enforcement mechanisms. And they did exactly the same thing. They And, and Bush caved, and so uh, they thought they could get away with it again, and Trump didn't cave. And so that was, uh, I hope he stands firm on this technology and and puts real enforcement mechanisms in. Uh, the vice president, uh, Lou, came back when and said, well, just trust us. Uh, we'll enforce this. Interesting. <laughs> Bob Lighthizer and just got started laughing yeah. and said, no, 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 we are not doing that again yeah. after the World Trade Organization because you didn't enforce anything. Uh, and so uh, I do think, you know, he's put a lot of pressure on the Chinese with, uh, uh, you know, ban threatening to ban Huawei from 5G systems in both Europe and the United States. And they make a lot of the the stuff that will be part of the new 5G rollout for telecoms for the next 20 years. Um, and I think uh, threatening a lot of other high-tech companies from banning them from the U.S. He's put, and then the agriculture. And I think in the end, he'll cave on a lot of those issues or he'll negotiate and compromise on that so long as the Chinese agree to tough enforcement mechanisms on the stealing of our technology. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. Well, Paul, unfortunately, I mean, this has been this has been great um, as always. Unfortunately, we're running a, a little low on time. But uh, one final question: uh, You think we'll we will get a deal done before the election? Well, I was talking to the to the negotiators, and I take my cues from them because they certainly know uh, what's happening better than I do, and. They were worried. There's no question that they were worried uh, that the Chinese were just saying, you know, Trump is too unpredictable. And, you know, from their point of view, they don't trust him. And they were just saying, let's let's see if we can get a better deal with Biden or the Democrats, whoever is the Democratic, uh, uh, if the Democrats win the presidential election, uh, we could get, they could get a better deal. And now I think from my talks with the people that the Chinese have now come to the conclusion that the Democrats are not the same Democrats as the Barack Obamas and the Bill Clintons, who were real free traders. And they're seeing uh, the the policy positions, even of Biden and uh, certainly of Sanders and Warren and the other Democrats, that they these people are even worse to negotiate with because they really don't believe in free trade. They they don't want a free trade agreement and because their major funder, the labor unions, are opposed to it. And the labor unions have been hurt. There's no question. They've been decimated by NAFTA, uh, which was negotiated by President Clinton, and they, they were inalterably opposed to the Trans-Pacific uh, trade uh, partnership, and um, and so 
part of their giving money this year to senators and congressmen is there's a litmus test and they're 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 requiring them to promise that they will not sign or vote for uh, any trade agreements. Oh, that's interesting. Well, Paul, thank you so much for your insight. This has been great. I hope we'll have you on here in a future podcast again. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Guys, this was fantastic. <laughs> Loved it. Again, learning so much from y'all. I appreciate it. And I know the audience does too. So thank you guys. And we'll, we'll talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. Yep. And thanks for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast with John and Michael Paris. If you have not subscribed to the podcast yet, please click the subscribe now button below. This way, when John and Michael come out with a new podcast, it'll show up directly on your listening device. This makes it much easier to share these podcasts with your friends and family. Again, thanks for listening today. For everyone at Copper Beach Financial Group, this is Eric Johnson reminding you to live your best day every day. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to the Truth About Wealth podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Copper Beach Financial Group. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning. This material is for informational purposes only. Neither APFS nor its representatives provide tax, legal, or accounting advice. Please consult your own tax, legal, or accounting professional before making any decisions. Securities offered through American Portfolio Financial Services, Incorporated, a member of FINRA SIPC, Investment Advisory and Financial Planning Services offered through American Portfolio Advisors, Incorporated, an SEC-registered investment advisor. Copper Beach is an unaffiliated entity of APFS and APA. Any opinions expressed in this forum are not the opinion or view of American Portfolios Financial Services Incorporated APFS or American Portfolios Advisors Incorporated APA and have not been reviewed by the firm for completeness or accuracy. These opinions are subject to change at any time without notice. Any comments or postings are provided for informational purposes only and do not constitute an offer or a recommendation to buy or sell securities or other financial instruments. Readers should conduct their own review and exercise judgment prior to investing. Investments are not guaranteed, involve risk, and may result in a loss of principal. Past performance does not guarantee future results. Investments are not suitable for all types of investors.